0: Welcome to the NASCAR NBC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today here at the Charlotte Convention Center, where we are winding down NASCAR Media Days. And I've been joined by the defending Daytona 500 winner, Denny Hamlin. Denny, thanks for being here. Does it feel like when you have to do a full day of media <laughs> obligations <laughs> that the season is upon you? Yeah,
1: this is, uh, this is back
0: to work by fire. Yeah, full day. <laughs> Do you like a day like this where you're just being shuttled from one I station? I to like another? it getting knocked out, yes. Okay. Uh,
1: I, I prefer long days that, that
0: knock it all out. Versus little drips here and there. Well, I hope that uh, you have had a somewhat relaxing, restful off season. I know that you just came from a pro am in mm-hmm. Florida that appeared like you had a lot of good times at at the uh, Diamond Resorts. Yeah, Tell me a little about that.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I, it's something I do every year. Uh, this year was kind of in question. I was uh, a late uh, confirm, uh, just simply because of my shoulder surgery. I just, I don't think uh, they really. Uh, one of me swinging a driver too much, but I, I tried it out, played a few holes, it seemed fine, everything was good, and uh, so I went down there and played, and I hadn't played golf in months before I actually went in there and played for co- in competition, so pretty happy with uh, the way it went. I uh, improved on last year, so keep trying to get better. So that was the first test of your surgical yeah, surgery. <laughs> yeah, it's going four sure. days in a row, <laughs> walking four days in a row, and I, I mean, I was beat the Monday. I mean, I I couldn't hardly move I was
0: so beat but the shoulder held up yeah honestly. it was good okay.
1: it it hurt you know it was pretty sore for a couple of days
0: but uh, it subsided and and we're getting it uh, stronger every day so who did you see at this tournament because I'm looking at the lists and you got John Smoltz I see mm-hmm. Ray
1: Allen yeah I got to talk to all those guys really I mean uh, I got to play with uh, the eventual winner uh, Gabby Lopez we played uh, together on Thursday um, and so you know we are playing essentially alongside the LPGA players so instead of them playing with each other in groups like they would in the p g a uh they're playing along with two celebrities, so a celebrity is a very loose term when you <laughs> include me by the way so uh it just uh so I got to play with her, and she was amazing. I mean she just played lights out and she ended up winning it in like six or seven overtime playoff. It was cool to do that. I got to play with uh, Larry Fitzgerald on the last day uh two old veteran number elevens uh <laughs> That have been around a while, so that was awesome. Got to play with Cole Swindell uh, one day. You know, they kinda the first day they kinda put you with people, you know, in the same industry. So of course I'm with Michael and yeah, I don't like to watch him hack it around. So after the first day he's where he is in the standings I'm where I am, so I get grouped with people more comparable to
0: how (laughs) I play. (laughs) And when you say Michael, you're talking about... Waltrip. Waltrip. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. Not not Jordan. Yeah, he
1: he was fortunate. He did not run dead last because we had a
0: withdrawal after uh, day three. Nice, nice. Well, I don't want to discount your status too much because I think you do have some measure of fame. You're a two-time Daytona 500 winner. That's actually why I have you here today. This is a NASCAR NBC podcast tradition that we always have the defending Daytona 500 winner on as the first episode of our season. So I was looking back at last year's race, Denny, and I guess I'd forgotten like how much it really came down to you and Kyle and those last few restarts with about 10 to go. Uh, Have you watched it since then? Mm -hmm. And Can you kind of take us through like everything that transpired those last 10 laps? Because there was a lot of sort of give and take between you and your teammate. Yeah, and we were trying to figure out, you know, what was best for us, you know, especially inside the
1: last 10 laps. We're trying to figure out where line do we want to be in? And it's so circumstantial to the people that are behind you and who's going to stay in line and who's not. Uh, I mean, essentially on these speedways, it all comes down to the race winner comes from whoever's got the Group behind him lined up in a orderly fashion. Uh, Typically, that is the lane lane that goes. And I just I'd been in the situation so many times in the last eight years. We have six top fives, and I've been on the front row. I don't know. It had to be at least five or six times in the last restart. I've only won two of them, but like I've learned that like man, I I screwed up by not doing this and that. I mean, the one that really bugs me is the. 2018, I think that was Austin Dillon. Yep. I mean, I have control of the last restart. You know, there's not hardly anyone left again, and and I chose the wrong line. I just made the wrong choice and uh, ended up, you know, not winning. So, was that inside or outside? I chose inside. Inside. Okay. I, su- I, I chose more based off of the people behind me, right? Versus right. just going with my instinct. You were trying and to figure out if you had a teammate that would push you. Yeah, around. and and there wasn't any. There wasn't any teammates. I think there was none. I I may have been the only Toyota left at the time in 2018. But I looked, and there was quite a few Fords that were going to be lined up on the inside. And then it was like Austin Dillon and Bubba Wallace and somebody else on the top line. I'm like, there's no way those guys stay in line. (laughs) So I'm going down here, and it, it just, the way it all shuffled, it didn't work, and it was bad. And I mean, I can just... I've been in position to win so many Daytona 500s over the last eight years that, like, I I more think about how can I learn from the mistakes and the choices that I've made that's kept me from having four or five of these things. And did you and Kyle sort of have a deal? You know, I really didn't know that we had a deal. (laughs) I mean, I I didn't know we had a deal. I mean, we talked about it on the radio. Um, They asked, hey, Kyle said, do you want to do the restart thing? Or the teammate thing, or something like that, and I said, "Yeah, sure," you know, because at least guaranteed me being in the top two. And then all of a sudden, at the end, he says, "Cal thinks it's best if we kind of race it out from here." And I says, "Okay." And then he pulled down to the bottom, and I said, "Okay." (laughs) Okay, thumbs up. And the next thing you know, you know, it kind of worked out. But I cleared them down the back stretch. And now the caution comes out, and then I've got in. Now I'm in control of my choices instead of letting him be in control of my choices. And and I just, I thought about the year before where I just, I had screwed up and did the wrong one. And I just said, you can put duct tape over that rear view mirror. I do not care who's lining up in what
0: line, whatever. I'm doing the opposite of last year. Taking the outside. And, and so it, it just worked out. So Kyle kind of handed it back to you and did what you had done in 18 or whatever and, and yes. gave you that chance. Yep. Yep. You ended up having six wins last year, which was actually one more than Kyle. It was just that he won the right one at the end. I yeah, guess.
1: he uh, was very average through the summer and fall and playoffs and just he had so many playoff points uh, from the regular season deal. Uh, he was just very consistent, very, very consistent through the regular season. I think he started off pretty hot too, uh, built up a point lead, and him and Joey were kind of going back and forth with the regular season title. That you know he had a much easier road to the final four. He didn't have to win. You know we didn't necessarily need to win either until I wrecked at uh, Texas. But yeah, it was just like I mean, I think we. Seen everything like he was the underdog and in, in the whole of, of all four of us and uh as crazy as that seems it just they were going off of how you know they had performed over the last 15 16 races and just things worked out i mean martin uh really stubbed his toe and we stubbed our toe and harvick just wasn't really nearly as good as I- what we thought so I just thought that we gave it our best shot and I I did the best that I could and I just had to live with the outcome. I mean, my crew chief was really going for it. There was no guarantees one way or another whether the tape either cost us the championship or it didn't. I I think it's inconclusive because when we go back out there, of course, we're faster than the field. So it's yet to to be seen, but I, I guarantee you, Like, I had another little bit left in the tank. Like, that track is a very fickle one on what line you run and how close you want to get to the wall and how far you want to push it. Similar to Darlington, and I never, at Darlington, I never push. I never give it all that I know it can take until the very end, either because I don't want people to see my line, or I don't want to risk taking myself out of the race early. And I just got to where I was like, you know, a second and a half behind Kyle, and I'm like, I'm about to turn it up, and... We went to pit road for that final pit stop. He said, "You know, if, if you got anything left, now's the time." It's like, okay, and I come off of pit road, and I'm pissing water. I'm like, what
0: the? <laughs> like,
1: what's <laughs> going? Something's wrong. And, yeah. and and he said, "Yeah, you're gonna have to bring it back." So, <laughs> so it just we uh, we swung and missed on that one. So you had a little bit left even without the tape, then. It I had le- I had some left. I had not gone to my bag of tricks at, at Homestead yet. Of uh of things that i do to get a little more speed out of the car it's a little more risky but it's things i can do to get more more speed out
0: did you know you they were going to put the tape on
1: i did not no i didn't know anything about it you know we hadn't talked about it we hadn't it wasn't part of a hey you know just in case type right. thing uh but you know he had a he had a plan he had a reason uh we just didn't get it quite in the right spot
0: sounds like you're past it it's not something you. yeah
1: do i i this whole offseason i had I I I don't even thought of it at all to be honest <laughs> with you. I mean, I think I thought of it for maybe you know during championship week, but I mean, I can't honestly remember me sitting here and thinking or double thinking or anything. And it was interesting. I I, I might have told you during that that, Gabe Hart actually texted me. And he's like, "Do you not want to know?" Any qu- do you have any questions of why I did what I did? Do you want to talk? I'm like, <laughs> no, I, I, it doesn't matter to me. I can't. We can't do anything about it now. So I just I was content with the outcome. I, it was looking like for the first half of that race we were going to run dead last of all four guys. We were running sixth at best, and then all of a sudden it went nighttime and we we took off. And so, you know, he had a plan to make our car best when it really counted, and it was definitely at its best at the end of the race. But unfortunately, uh, it was to unlap
0: ourselves versus <laughs> going for the race win. That you didn't even need to know. Is that a testament to the faith and trust that you and Chris Gabehardt built in each other? Or is it also a little bit about how much you've matured over 14 seasons yeah. in the Cup Series? Or is it a little bit of both?
1: It's a little bit of both, for yeah. sure. It's been proven with him. I mean, he's he's earned, his, he's earned his keep. He's earned my trust. He's made some great calls. Uh, this this past year that maybe won us a race or two and, and very few calls that have cost us any spots. Or, you know, you can argue that the championship, but, I mean, that he's still staying aggressive to the last second, and that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. And so he's earned my trust, and, and I kind of let him have the reins, and we've been a very quarterback-head coach combination. He makes the plays, he calls the plays, and if he wants me to go and practice and run two laps, 60 miles an hour up against the wall, then i just go do it, and I'll ask why. I'm just, okay, he's,
0: there's some reason that you've got me doing this. It's his job to give me the play and me to run it. I can tell that relationship allowed you to just put all that behind you because it did seem like you had a good off season. You didn't dawdle. I see that you've decided to delve into the i-racing world, that you've started a team yeah. there, along with uh, William Byron, Kyle Larson now own teams, and you started through the Jumpman brand. Does, does Michael Jordan have some yeah, so
1: yeah, it all started with iRacing I obviously approaching me on wanting to expand the teams and whatnot from last year. And I've had a history in iRacing similar to William Byron. Uh, you know, He's kind of known as being the iRacing guy that kind of transferred his talents into real life. Uh, but really, I mean, I- it was a huge benefit I thought for me to go from the virtual world to realistic when I was going to these racetracks for the first time uh, in my rookie season. So I used the tool quite a bit. I got off of it for quite a while because of my back. I just couldn't sit for an extended period of time. Uh, but it's just something I'm recently getting back into again. Uh, But it was very easy for me to want to be a part of it. I'd watched quite a few races online, and uh, I knew with with them expanding, now having more races uh, on NBCSN, the excitement of watching them themselves, I I wanted to be a part of it. And what I wanted to do was go after the best guys, and uh, I got a couple of the good ones. And
0: does MJ have some involvement? Yeah,
1: so I, I, I came to him thinking that, you know, If if you if you got cars with no sponsors and you can put anything on them you want right and and they're essentially your cars, what do what do you want to go after? And I always thought it'd be really cool to have a jumpman car, and so I contacted (laughs) him and said, "Hey, is this something you'd be interested in?" He said, "Yeah, I'm in. Just let me know." Uh, I said, "Well, you know, we can come up with any design or whatever." He says, "I'll have a design within three days." Like this is right during Christmas time, and literally a day later, he's sending me all kinds of these renderings that he had his people go out and do. So this
0: iRacing car, is going. Michael Jordan had significant involvement in how it's going. Yeah, it'll be, he'll have (laughs) there'll be a 23
1: Jumpman car. Wow, that is cool.
0: And I saw you also took a lot of the iRacing drivers to lunch uh, when they were in Charlotte for media days. I'm sure you saw this on social media. There was a ton of blowback about, like, why are they promoting and and putting these guys out there as (laughs) if they're real drivers. What's the Denny Hamlin opinion on how iRacing drivers should be treated relative to real World Cup guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, they all have their talents. I mean, you know, I, I think that I was very good at iRacing back in the day. I mean, I sat on the pole and won some really big, prestigious races. Now, back there, then, there were like 5,000 people that raced online, and now there's over 100,000 that do iRacing. But you got to conform or die. I mean, it, 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 you know, talking to some of them, and I, I've had a relationship, you know, where I really just talked through social media, like direct message through Twitter or whatnot, Ray Alfala, Logan Clampett, a race with those guys a little bit. And we just, you know, they would ask me a question about a race, a real race, and they, and I'd talk to them. And they were always grateful that I would always message them back. Well, I saw that, you know, they were all just kind of hanging out for, for media days, and they were at one of the guy's apartments or something that lived <laughs> here locally. I'm like, hey, y'all just come by the house. And he said, okay, we'll be there. And next thing you know, there's like 15 of them showing up at the house, (laughs) and and we're going to lunch, and we went downstairs, shot basketball, then we went bowling, stuff like that. And, um, you know, they, they are good at what they do. I mean, they are honestly really good at what they do. And hearing their stories about, they said, we actually never watched NASCAR racing until we went and got on iRacing, and then now we watch NASCAR races every weekend. So it is growing our sport. There is no question about it that it is growing our sport because where our sport has always had a challenge is that unlike other sports where you can go out in your backyard and simulate a game winning shot that Kobe made. Yeah. Or yeah. or Michael Jordan. Or a golf shot. You know, you gotta hit a flop shot onto the green like you can go out in the real world and simulate that. In racing you can't do it. That's why it's so hard for people to relate to our sport because they can't simulate it. They don't they're not
0: able to experience it in real life and iRacing now gives them that platform to do it well certainly you know if you can get Michael Jordan involved intimately involved in the design of a car that certainly speaks to its reach you have that special relationship with Michael Jordan he was at Homestead Miami Speedway again watching you for the championship this past November obviously he had a very special relationship with Kobe Bryant we're sitting here three days after the horrible tragedy that took him from us in that helicopter crash with his daughter and hashtag girl dad has become a thing. And I saw that you tweeted that mm-hmm. as well here. Let's just first start with, I know you're a sports fan. I mean, how did you find out the news and how did it affect you? I, You know, I, like most people, you know, th- probably the way you shouldn't.
1: But uh, yeah, <laughs> I logged on social media literally, like I think it was like 50 seconds after TMZ had posted it. And of course the link is broken because either people were all clicking on it or they were told to take it down. And immediately I messaged my friends. I'm like, I sent them a link. And I was like, this? This can't be true, and and literally we're waiting for like 15 minutes, and no other news outlet's saying anything, right? Because it's just so fresh, and like... (sighs) Until I saw it on the local news in California, that's when it was like, okay, this is real. So, yeah, I was just sitting at home. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing that particular day. I was just kind of... I was just hanging out with the kids, uh, as far as I remember. And, uh, yeah, it was just... You know, my first thought was, you know, when they list when they said five, I'm thinking, oh no, it's the whole family. He has four daughters, right? And and so, you know, it was it it's terrible that it involved you know him and his and his daughter and whatnot. And because you think about it from the fa- family standpoint, uh, his wife and his kids. I mean, gosh, I mean, it's tough enough losing you know your husband, but what about your kid too, or your sister? That you just lost a sister and your dad, like. You know, this is a i I can't remember a death that
0: united so many people over these last forty eight hours. No question about that. And especially from the fact that Kobe Bryant has four daughters. You are the father of two daughters. Yeah. What is hashtag girl dad, what does that mean to somebody who has daughters?
1: Yeah, I mean it's just a different you know, I I, I think that came from the uh newscaster. The Sports that, Center anchor. Yeah, right. she she said her story and I watched it and I was like I can totally see Kobe doing that, and I'd never met Kobe, but I, you'd seen enough interviews and you'd yeah. heard him, you know, talk to people enough to where, and I agree with him. Like I'm a girl, dad, right? I, I'm I love my daughters. They're the ones that are gonna take care of you. Your sons are gonna be like, ah, dad, you know, whatever. <laughs> but but you you see, you know, women when they grow up, like always have that special bond with their dad, and so. Uh, I I have it with my kids for sure, and it certainly is it's special to to have girls. And, and and even though, admittedly, I I wanted boys <laughs> every time, <laughs> I I'm so happy with the girls that I have, and they've they've just been such great kids. Taylor, your
0: oldest, who I believe turns S- what seven? she turned seven last week. Yeah. Turned seven last week. Okay, and she. Was a lot more visible at the racetrack last year. If you were yeah. following Denny's Instagram social, you could see Taylor TV. Uh, I know she was a hit on Championship 4 Media Day in uh, yeah. South Beach. <laughs> we saw a lot of her last year. Yeah, she's so funny and, and, I
1: mean, so full of energy. She's not shy about anything, which makes it always fun for kids that age that are not shy. You, you, know, they, <laughs> you know, didn't they have a show about kids say the darndest things or something? So she she does. I mean, she uh, she likes to have the attention on her. You know, I was actually at uh, her birthday dinner one night with my brothers and sisters and my parents, and and she's running around. She's so excited. She's and I'm just like, wow, ha- this is impossible for someone to have this much energy. And my brothers and sisters are like, what are you talking about? You were, you were, <laughs> she takes you were worse than her. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, because Molly is such the opposite. Totally low key. Totally independent. But yeah, she she just she has so much energy and. I look back at old videos of me, and yeah, I was the same way. Just (laughs) something clicked where I just became more reserved, and more <laughs> quiet and whatnot. So. so
0: Molly, your youngest, kind of resembles the later version I of you. I think she does. Okay. Yes, she does for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, that Taylor takes after you from that uh, that outgoing perspective <laughs> uh, and that talkative perspective. I thought it was interesting that Jeff Gluck just did this all-interview team from the Cup Series for the Athletic, and he put you on the all-interview team uh, and compared you to Jeff Burton. He said that, you know, here's another Virginian who 20 years later is somebody that all of the media, all the reporters go to. To for big picture perspectives and questions, mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I think you're always great on that, Danny, in terms of giving us the big picture. Yeah,
1: I, does that mean anything to you? I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a compliment. It's definitely more of a compliment than anything. I know that Jeff Burton, uh, because you know, I, I was in the sport when he was kind of winding down his uh, time in the sport, but he was, he was at the forefront of safety. He was at the forefront of rules changes, things like that. He was always had the you know, ear of the competitors in one and NASCAR in the other. And whether I, I put myself in those situations, I think I put myself in those situations four, five, six years ago, maybe ten years ago, where, you know, organized the drivers council and whatnot and got that going and it all started with us wanting to see a change in competition. Uh we wanted it to put more in drivers' hands and I said, Well, what's the better way than Let's get a group of us all to go down the R&D center, organize a meeting with the big guys, and see if they'll listen. And they did. And I remember everyone getting out of their car, and I'm handing them literally cue cards of like, <laughs> guys, let's stay on track here. Here are like, the like talking points, like right? If, yeah. we, if we, if this thing goes sideways, and this person all of a sudden comes up with a different idea, they're going to deem it not credible. Let's all just say, we all agree that these are the things that we feel like will in- make racing better. And we came in there unified and it worked and, and we got what we wanted for a year or two. <laughs> and then, you know, it, it, things changed. But uh, but now we're we're on the short tracks, heading back there. So it's uh it's a circle. And yeah and it's constantly, you know, what's the best for the sport, what's the best for the fans versus what's best for the teams, what's best for NASCAR, and they don't always
0: line up. So there's no more driver council, but is part of the legacy the fact that NASCAR did admit, hey, we screwed up on the short tracks last year, and we got to change things for 2020. Let's mm-hmm. talk to you guys and the teams and figure out how to make it right for this year and, and change our downforce rules so we can have better racing at Martinsville.
1: Yeah, I don't think it was any surprise to anybody that knew anything about aerodynamics or driving a race car that, it's not about downforce levels and we keep saying low downforce or high downforce it's about the wake it's ultimately determined passing is determined by the wake if you want to draft you need to have the biggest spoiler you can put on the car that will create the biggest wake and will create suck up for the second car for him to slingshot pass but the problem is on short tracks we don't use drafting you don't go fast enough and the straightaways aren't long enough for you to use the wake to close in all it does is then takes air off the back car and takes away grip from him. So you have to create the most narrow, smallest wake on the short tracks. And if you want drafting, you got to create the biggest wake that you can on the bigger tracks. And that's all it boils down to. Everything else does not matter. Downforce levels, side force, forget all that. It's about wake. It's not about downforce levels. And I think that they understand that. And we've also seen, you know, we had a, I had a real legit, you know, come to Jesus meeting with Goodyear and said you know what has changed you know you're saying that the tire is is soft or softer than it has ever been the fall off is less than it has ever been so something doesn't add up because there's more downforce that should wear out the tire we started going into well what has changed and they ultimately it's the competitors fault because they put Goodyear in the in the box of keep letting air out of the tires and the tires end up blowing so they keep building more reliable more reliable stronger more durable well that created what what they say is is, is a saturation number. So in order to actually get the grip out of the car, you have to saturate it with a certain amount of load, which only the leader has because he's the only one with downforce. So you have to lower that saturation number of the tire to allow the grip to to happen even if there is a wake. So there's a lot of things to get worked on, and I think they're all getting worked on right now. And you know, I got to give a ton of credit to Steve O'Donnell, and really the whole team, th- that whole team, have done a really good job of, of opening their ears and and really trying to get uh,
0: the best racing possible on all types of tracks. So you anticipate there will be success on this front, and the tires won't last for three thousand laps at a time <laughs> anymore. Well, I
1: don't think that that'll be a quick change. I think that's going to take some time because they're going to have to go to back to some of these tracks, and hopefully they can do this with the new tire on the 2021 car, but really have to get back to a lower saturation number. That way, uh, when you do lose downforce, the tire is still saturated, which gives it grip. You have to have saturation to get grip, and the problem is the number just got so sky-high because they were so strong and durable that only the leader was the
0: one getting it saturated. So hopefully we'll see a few more lead changes, though, in 2020. I think, without a doubt, we'll we'll see more this year than what probably we ever have. When you look back at the driver's council, though, Denny, is there any... Sort of regret or remorse that it has gone away, and I'm I'm thinking like uh, you know a season like this. Yeah. It, there are so many big name free agents.
1: I mean, yeah, I had every driver's signature on a document forming this whole thing, except for one, and he was he was on his way. Right? I yeah, just for archives purposes, I I still have all of these driver's <laughs> signatures on this on this document that officially made us an association. Really, uh, it was interesting. You know, I think NASCAR sensed it, and and <laughs> they had a sit down meeting uh, with myself uh, and Jeff Gordon at the time. And uh, so it all started, you know, with me kind of you know really trying to get the people together. You know, I had a handful. Then it, it started to expand into other people wanting to have influence, and then I started going after the top name guys, the veteran guys. And at the time, I wasn't a veteran guy out. You know, I was a veteran, but I was you know seven years in, eight years in, not you know fourteen, fifteen, and I got them all bought in on it. And uh, Jeff Gordon came in, and and I think that you know obviously he was coming close to the end of of his career, and so he wanted to be a part of it. And uh, I remember uh, Brian France sitting us down and kind of giving us the whole long, be very careful of antitrust here. There's contracts and. You know, this could get very legal and blah blah blah. And essentially, we don't really want a drivers' union. They, they did not. <laughs> and, and, and they did yeah. not want a drivers' union for sure. And I still don't think they want a drivers' <laughs> union. But I, I thought about it quite a bit, and I and I realized that, you know, what I really needed to focus on was like on track. This was going to take time to really do it right. I mean, we were going to have to hire staff. We were all going to have to split a lot of attorneys' fees. Um, for this whole thing, and I think um, it just lost some steam, and and really NASCAR then came out with that driver council thing uh, that that went on for a few years. It, it just kind of has morphed into what it is now, which is kind of like it is in the old days, where we just we're not afraid to exchange some text messages instead of walking in the holler. You're just texting, saying, "Hey, you know, you really should think about changing this or that," and but they they sit down with us at least twice a year
0: get our feedback. They do it differently than they did 15 years ago, and and it's all for the better, and that is great from a competition perspective, especially not just for you guys, but fans benefit as well. When you look, though, like the driver-free agent landscape this year could be very volatile. There could be a lot of guys changing teams, and it seems like everybody is taking less because that's the current reset Mm -hmm. of NASCAR in general. Would a union have made any sort of difference in that in protecting you guys, or do you think like it was just headed in this direction?
1: No, I mean, I, I think that I still think, personally, that drivers should have an official voice. I mean, now, we have a voice. Don't don't get me wrong. I think NASCAR definitely listens to us. But you have the RTA, and they have a seat at the table when it comes to rules. They have a vote. And I think that that matters. And I think that the drivers should have that as well. Um, now, how you organize it, who does it, I, I don't know. But I, I definitely think it's important, especially with there'll be, in the next few years, you know, tracks, will have their agreements uh, redone the TV will have its agreements redone the drivers need to be protected I mean they really really do because you know it's it's really kind of it, it's tough because they don't they don't create the market as much as they used to um, I still think if you want to budget your race team and and get a budget driver you're gonna have budget results and and one thing that that Joe Gibbs Racing has done is always went out and hired the best drivers, and they did whatever it takes to get the best
0: drivers, and they get the best results because of it. Do you think yourself and a lot of others are going to be watching what happens this year? Kyle Larson's a free agent. Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, uh, Jimmy Johnson obviously is retiring and opening up the yeah. seat. Eric Jones is going to be in a contract year. Is this a pivotal year for you guys to kind of watch how this all plays I- out? I do. I think
1: yeah. there'll be. I think 2021 will will be the most different the sport has looked as a whole, in a long time. Certainly, I think that there's going to be some motivated drivers out there uh, in contract years, for sure. You know, as a driver, you find a way. When you know that (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're all of a sudden the, the the team owner comes over there and they they put your stats down for the last five years or ten <laughs> years and and they always you know they always give you the sample size that makes you look the worst, you know because they want to pay you the least that they can get away with. But uh, but if you got a good team around you like I've got, you know, you find a way to to, to make it positive. But you um, it's it's definitely it's just definitely one of those sports where. The drivers, when they know that their performance is getting looked at,
0: they find a way to step up. Well, Brad Kozlowski recently said something interesting, and again, he's going to be in a contract year, about the rules package last year. This didn't affect you, obviously, as much because you had a good year, six wins, but he struggled toward the end. And he said that it was difficult for veterans because the precise way that you have to hit every lap with low horsepower, high downforce package, you could look like as Kozlowski put it I think he said like he would come in and like a, the team might say what were you drunk when you were out there like mm-hmm. you were hitting great laps and you had two really bad ones and he said it just it became a lot harder I guess to right. to be at optimum peak performance under this rules package did you, did you notice that at all last year did veterans talk about that were you affected by it um, I, I, you would think if things become more common then there should be
1: more winners right there was probably less, and they were all set. Satur- they all came from the same organization, right. Gibbs Domino, you know. Yeah. And and it's you know whether it's be because of the drivers or the team or whatever it may be, the best still perform the best. And yeah. there was no surprises in the final four. I don't think there was any surprises in the final eight, yeah. to be honest with you. So the drivers still have bigger influences ever. And in my opinion, that the more common things become, you start making everything common. Well, what's the only thing that's going
0: to separate you? And that's the driver. That makes them more valuable than ever. Interesting. Two more for you, Denny. Uh, Rodney Estes, crew chief for you in the late model days. Uh, you won a lot of races. He just died recently. Very sad because he was so instrumental in your career. And I was looking back at uh, an interview I did with him for the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and he was saying that you and he s- sort of learned how to build shocks together. Mm. And yeah. I was wondering like, if you had any memories on that because I was looking back at this interview I did with him and he was telling me about how you went to like a shock school and learned how to that was how you got so good at driving a car because you understood what made the cars work. We went to a a Bilstein
1: shock school together because eventually so when I came in the late model series and bought his old equipment he said that hey I'm just going to hang around for a couple weeks show you the ropes show you what parts go where you know how to set up the car and y'all can take it from there and he kind of kept coming and kept checking in on us and then finally he he would go straight from his job at ge to working on a race cars every single day and finally he's like all right i've gotta i gotta get off the road like uh, it's the whole point of me selling all this stuff is i wanted i didn't want to do this as much and now i'm doing it it more and uh so he's like we should go to the shock school it'll show you how to build shocks and like i'll kind of chaperone you through all that and we went together and I learned quite a bit and ever since then you know when we came back from that we were just we were better and and we learned and we started working on shocks more and more and it was really before cars were worried about sealing them down to the ground stuff like that so we just had a lot of success we worked well together we played well together i mean the guy just worked his heart out and, you know and when i went to his funeral the other day and hearing the people talk, he always was working for someone else. Like when, he, <laughs> when I left the sport and when I left Late Models, he lashed onto some other kid at the racetrack and started helping him. And so he just, I think he loved racing and he, it was just a part of him. And he could not, not let it go, even if he wasn't participating. So he's just a great guy. And it was a very unfortunate and unexpected death for him and his family. But fortunate for me. You know, I got to talk to him uh, the day before. Oh, um, really? Wow. Yeah, and you know, we we knew he was in bad shape, and and he was having trouble breathing. And I, I talked to him, and they they said, you know, he he'll be able to hear you, but he can't talk to you, you know, because he's got a breathing tube in or breathing machine on. I I, I talked to him and said, hey, Rodney, this is Denny, and immediately his brother grabbed the phone and says. Hang on, hang on. He's calling the nurse. He's telling the nurse he wants to get the nurse to get his mask off so he can talk to you. Oh, wow! And so we talked for about ten minutes, and I just, you know, thanked him for everything he did for me, and you know how it wouldn't be possible without him and all his sacrifices, and you know keep fighting and do everything you can. And it was great. I got to at least talk to him for that ten minutes. And
0: the next day he passed away. Oh well, how great that you got to get that closure, and, and not just because of the closure, but also because. He was so instrumental, like yep. like so many other unsung heroes in that late model scene. Yeah. you're winning at Southampton and Center National. I, on I looked bases. and I took
1: a picture uh, of of they had you know the plaques. That we used to give Rodney a plaque every year, thanking him. Of course, my parents. It's the least we could do, right? The guy, it <laughs> you know, works his tail off and and comes working works in our garage for eight hours after working at GE for ten hours. But because he worked in the trailer shop. Yeah, I mean Chester he road, would yeah. just come. That's where we had our race cars. And I was looking at the I was looking at the plaque, saying you know thank you for a great. 2003 season, 35 races, 32 poles, 25 wins and 32 top 5s or something. It was just incredible. I'm like, that, that those years do not exist anymore. Like even in today's world of uh, the guys like Bubba Pollard that just dominate, you know, that kill it in the late model war, you don't have seasons where you win 25 out of 35. <laughs> like it just it is not possible. And so, you know, that success goes back to him and
0: and his experience and never leaving us. Yeah, that's great. All that success happened at Southampton and Southern National, two well-known short tracks in Virginia and the Carolinas there. And and that got you that test at Hickory with Joe Gibbs Racing that got you to Joe Gibbs Racing. And now you're entering your 15th season in the Cup Series, uh, 15th season with FedEx, 15th season in number 11 car. A lot of continuity there. And you'll have the continuity now with Chris Gabehart for yeah. the second straight year, and we talked about this before we got started. Positive regression is a podcast that you and I both listen to, and they talk about how 39 years old is the optimum year, generally statistically, for a Cup driver. So right. you turn 39 in November. <laughs> <How do you laughs> all of those things, uh, you know, coming together. How do, do, like how do you feel I about like it. Only looking up from here. This yeah. is all <laughs>
1: positive regression or not? I, it's all positive, sounds like to me. But I, I, I agree. I mean, whether it be the timing of the career the experience or whatever like things are lining up really really good for us in 2020 there's been no development on chassis no new parts no new nothing so everything is the same the only thing question mark i have is the whole chevy body change for one year (laughs) they got to change their nose and tail and kind of specifically put it for this package which is going to be very beneficial for them but i think that working with my crew chief now for the second year is going to be huge I mean we really started to step up dramatically in the second half of last year only because it was tracks we were going back to you know the I think the first four tracks in which we went back to for a second time was like win second win win and it was like yeah he, he knows he, he's hearing what <laughs> I'm saying and he's making adjustments and so I'm really excited about it you know I, I think we've got a great relationship and I'm confident that the next person that's getting fired on the eleven is going to be me, and not the crew chief. So this <laughs> is definitely my last crew chief, no doubt. <laughs> you said that about wheels. Uh, so uh, this one's th- for this sure. Time you're sure. This of it. one, okay. I'm, I'm sure. Okay.
0: All right. As always, uh, a pleasure sitting down and talking with you, Denny. Thanks for making so much time, and thanks for being a listener of the podcast too. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, like I that, do. So. I, I listen to you guys, and, and you know when you have Steve and those guys on,
1: and Jeff. They, they, these guys are that we listen to. They've been part of the sport, you know, very recently, and have great insight. That's why I love. Listen to you guys, you're, you're very insightful, and I even learned a few
0: things. Good luck this season. Thanks for all being right. here. Thank you. Our thanks again to Denny Hamlin. We've had him on each of the last four years now on the NASCAR NBC podcast, and Denny always is a good conversation. I think Jeff Gluck has it right that Denny belongs on the all-interview team in NASCAR. He always gives you an honest answer, and often you'll learn something like I did from his insights on the Short Track Rules Package, and tire wear. That was good analysis we heard in this episode from Denny. By the way, you heard me mention the Positive Regression podcast. I've been told that Denny also will be a guest soon on that podcast with hosts David Smith and Alan Kavanaugh. Very appropriate because, as we mentioned, Denny just turned 39 a couple of months ago, and if you're a Positive Regression listener like me, you know how important that year can be to a driver's career. So stay tuned and give that a listen. Thanks as well to Sherry Spiewak, who handles media relations for FedEx and the number 11 team. Sherry always is great to work with. She spearheaded the well-received episode we did last year when we traveled with Denny Hamlin to Memphis, Tennessee and FedEx headquarters for a better understanding of what makes their NASCAR sponsorship work. So thanks again to Sherry for all the help in coordinating some great interview opportunities like this one. It's February 2020, so that means the NASCAR season is upon us. And that also means the return of NASCAR America. It's back on Monday, February 10th at 5 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Jeff Burton, Steve Letarte, and Kyle Petty will be breaking down The Clash and Daytona 500 qualifying, as well as the rest of Speed Weeks as we head into the Daytona 500. And you can catch NASCAR America weeknights on NBCSN starting February 10th. Also, lots of good content coming to NBCSports.com NASCAR, where writers Dustin Long, Jerry Bonkowski, and Daniel McFadden will be churning out stories for NASCAR Talk on the run-up to the Daytona 500 this month. So be sure to check all that out, NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. The NASCAR and NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. That really helps us out in spreading the word. And you can always send me feedback on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC Podcast.
1: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
0: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need.